0: You are looking live at chicken dinner i bet you 20 bucks i can get you gambling before the end of the day i think i'll take two chickens one riverboat gambling trips you're gonna die for some chickens
1: hey what's your chicken dinner someone is It was feathers yesterday there was no chicken what you got riding on this game my daughter <laughs> what a gambler it's chicken dinner hey guys we got a bet here
0: here's your host sam panionovich
1: it's called winner winner chicken dinner right there boys <laughs> let's get this thing going winner winner chicken dinner how about that Uh, away we go chicken dinner friday october 6th 2023 follow on twitter at chicken dinner the dms are always open for you and subscribe so you get this mother clucker once it goes live time to talk hockey alex smith our go-to hockey guy ice guys hammer edge work he's very high on a team out west this year no it's not the vegas golden knights he's also got a sleeper to win the calder trophy And when will Connor Bedard score his first goal? Big topic of conversation in Chicago and something that you can bet on in the American markets. I wish you could have been with me last Saturday. I was off all last week, at least for Nesson purposes. I did all my Fox obligations. I have so much PTO I have to burn. I know it's September, but had to do it. So Hilton Head, we're there Monday to Saturday, and obviously the games are on Saturday. And one of the chicken bets was Baylor plus 12.5. UCF went right down the field, 7-0. I think eventually it was 14-0, UCF, then it's 14-7. UCF scores again. It's 21-7. Baylor's going back down the field because this game was a freaking track beat. Nobody was going to get a stop. Baylor's about to make it 21-14, essentially. The Baylor receiver is going down. His knee hits the ground, and simultaneously, at the same time, a UCF defender rips the ball out of the Baylor guy's hands and takes it 80 yards the other way for a touchdown. 21-14 became 28-7, and that was basically all she wrote. UCF scored again. At halftime, it's 35-7, and we are boarding our flight back to Boston. But this is a halfway flight because there are not many direct options from Hilton Head, Savannah, to Boston. So the middle ground is Baltimore on the East Coast. Take off for Baltimore. You get on the plane. Southwest, typical Southwest. Uh, yeah, the uh, Wi-Fi on the plane is uh, really great, but it's not working on the flight, and uh, we apologize for any inconvenience. <laughs> Okay, whatever. The game's over, or so I thought. Again, Baylor 12 and a half. Plane takes off. It's 35-7 UCF at half. I'm in the air for an hour 40 minutes, have no idea what's going on. No texting, no video, no games, nothing. When I landed, my phone didn't stop buzzing. 80, 90 notifications, and some of those are group threads. I'm not trying to brag. I'm just telling you that's what happened. It didn't stop buzzing. Bzz, 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 bzz. So, in my world, somebody's either dead or we covered. And I don't know. I have no idea. You read a couple of texts. Oh my God. Oh my God. Holy fuck. Whatever it is. I pull up the score. And see, thirty six, thirty five, Baylor. How? How? I'll take it. But come on. I'm almost glad it happened that way because if I was watching that live, I would have been a nervous wreck. There are some people I know that are very good at gambling that don't watch the games. I don't understand how they do it. I, I almost want to watch it. Because to me, if I'm going to buy the ticket, I want to see the whole thing through. I want to get my money's worth. It's really, some of these college games, it's a a three-and-a-half or four-hour roller coaster of emotions. And I think a lot of us, that's what we enjoy. But Baylor gets home as a a 12-and-a-half-point dog. Also had Penn State. And people will go, well, you got lucky. Yeah, guess what? I'll take it because I've been unlucky this season. And I've made some bad picks this season. But anybody who's known me or has followed this podcast long enough knows that I'm not going to pick it 12.5% all season. Came out of the gate 1 in 7. That's 12.5%. If you want to fade me, that's fine. I By all means. I, I'm not charging you anything, nor will I ever. You want to fade chicken dinner bets and that's your prerogative and you're going to make money? Go for it. But... One and seven has quickly become nine and 13. I'm clawing back into it. Still down. I understand that. Minus 5.3. But it feels like a hot streak is, I don't want to say inevitable because then I sound like a cocky jerk. But we're going to get mathematical regression the right way. Bounces are going to go our way. Teams are going to play the way that I need them to play. When you start one and seven, you know, the math is good that eventually you're going to have that seven and one run. It's almost harder to pick 20% than it is to pick 80%, I would argue. So I'm seeing the ball, I feel like, pretty well this week. I already have a couple plays that you've seen on Twitter at Chicken X Dinner. UCF Kansas over 64 and a half. I knew that Daniels was in trouble at Kansas, and it was reported today. Brett McMurphy tweeted out that Jalen Daniels is not going to play for Kansas, but I'm okay with being. This is the kid that was in that track meet against Texas a couple years ago. The game was in the 40s. Kansas will move the ball against UCF. I mean, I've watched UCF for two straight weeks now. Well, I didn't watch them against Baylor, but I watched the first half. I've seen UCF get shredded by Kansas State and Baylor. Kansas has weapons on offense. Lance is a very good guy when it comes to manipulating opposing safeties. You're going to see home run plays from Kansas. I like Leipold a lot, Lance Leipold, the head coach. He's building something there. I also believe John Rice Plumley is going to play for UCF, and that was what I sort of started to find out Monday and Tuesday. Hey, this kid has a real chance to play, and I would expect by the time we get to Friday or Saturday, we will learn that Rice Plumley will play. This total was 65 a couple days ago. It opened 62, got bet to 65. Somebody probably bet a nickel or two at circa and moved it on a Monday, which is the worst. But I digress. If Plumlee's in, I am betting over. I might even get some more if it goes back down to 64. But at 64 and a half, 65, yes, I like it. I don't think those points are all that important when you get to 63, 64, 65. I understand key numbers and all that, but this game's either going to be. Thirty-eight, thirty-five, or twenty-seven, twenty. I don't think we're going to sweat in that, you know, cover zone, if you will. The other bet. There are some rumors floating around, and I don't know what's true and what's not. But when you hear the words Milro and hamstring, that's cause for concern at Alabama. We know that Alabama is nowhere near the championship caliber Alabama team we've watched since Nick Saban started winning them uh, in the late two thousands. Kenny White has AM and Alabama as numerical equals. How about that? Yet you look at the game, and Bama opened, what, four on the highway at Kyle Field, which, oh, by the way, holds 102,000 people. I'm looking at the board now. Bama is down to a pick 'em at Circa Superbook. South Point, Bama won, Caesars won online won, Chris won, Heritage won, you name it. It's crashing down. Now, that number still tells me that Milrow is in. If he were to be ruled out, though, and again, we're, we're speculating here. I'm telling you Plumlee's in for UCF. I don't know about Alabama, and getting something out of Nick Saban is like prying a molar. It's not going to happen because his assistants and his confidants are scared that he's going to find out. So... We're not going to find out, likely, until Friday or Saturday, probably Saturday. But if he's banged up against an A&M defense that is legit up front, look at their sack numbers, look at their TFLs. These guys live in the backfield. And is not the greatest passer to begin with. If you've got a bad hammy, a bad wheel, and you're going to try and be mobile against that defense, forget it. And if we carry the conversation and think about the backup situation – fucking brutal at Alabama. There's no Tua on the bench. We're talking about Buckner, who is really bad, the kid that transferred from Notre Dame, or the freshman, Ty Simpson. If it's him, we're talking about a kid making his first ever road start in the SEC against a team that has top 15, top 20 talent. So I heard the Milrow stuff, and I sent it out, plus two and a half, at Chicken Next Dinner. We can obviously get off it if we need to, but I'm I'm probably gonna take it no matter what. Even if Milro plays and he's ninety percent, I still like AM. I know people say I can't bet against Saban, you can't bet against Belichick. That's lazy. So those are the two I like. I'm also with the Bear. I it's his play. I circled California three eighty two at plus nine and a half. This coach, Justin Wilcox, is almost 70% ATS as a dog. And we're talking like 35-40 games. Oregon State has shown me a lot of erratic offense because, guess what, they have an erratic quarterback who's been erratic since he was at Clemson, DJ Uyunglele. And this is just under 10. Circa opened it 9 I love when the books open things 6 instead of 7, 9 instead of 10, 20 instead of 21. That's built in a respect, obviously, for the underdog. So I will probably end up on Cal. Maybe I can get 10. I'm, I'm not really in a rush there. I don't, I don't think it's going to come off 9.5 the other way. I could be wrong. But I, I feel like that's going to be – you've got a ranked team. Oregon State is 15th in the country, just beat Utah, smothered the Utes, now it's lowly Cal. I have a feeling Oregon State's going to be pretty popular going into the weekend. And that's a late game, too. 10 o'clock on the East Coast, 7 o'clock Pacific. I lean to Cal. Uh, quickly, in the NFL, I'm bullish on the Falcons this week. Seeing a lot of talk about the Texans and, you know, they're ahead of schedule. And C.J. Stroud is the best rookie quarterback, and it's been four weeks. I, I would probably lay one and a half with Atlanta. And I agree with uh, Adam Chernoff on this Titans-Colts game. He likes over 43, which I tweeted out from uh, my personal account. We do that every week on Ness in the video with Chernoff from Right Angle Sports. He's right. Tennessee's going to run the Colts ragged. And then the Colts have shown with Anthony Richardson and Shane Steichen constructing great game plans. That's a game where 43 is low, but it, it feels too low. The other thought I had heading into this week is actually two thoughts. Number one, if I would have told you before the season that Cincinnati would go on the road to Arizona in week five and only be a three-point favorite, how much would you bet on Cincinnati? Bengals have been downgraded a lot, and maybe we've knocked the Cardinals up. Eh, Maybe. I still think they're a bottom three team in the NFL talent-wise. Bengals O-line is banged up. T. Higgins is banged up. Joe Burrow, clearly not himself, but it's the number. And this dipped to 2.5 earlier on Thursday. I'm thinking, wow. That is that pseudo-sharp action on the Cardinals at home plus 3 against Burrow. I'm just saying. I mean, this summer line was 8 since he was seven and a half, eight on the road. I'm not betting Cardinals plus three. No shot. I don't know that I want to end up on the Bengals either because they haven't been great. But that number, it doesn't even doesn't even compute in my brain. And how about this? Niners were seven to one, seven and a quarter before the year to win the Super Bowl. You can get them six to one right now. Well, why am I talking about the Super Bowl? Well, it's October fifth, and there's a huge Sunday night game. In San Francisco, Cowboys at the Niners. San Fran about a four-point favorite, three-and-a-half to four. If San Francisco wins this game, which I expect, that number is going to dip. If San Francisco pounds Dallas, 550, five-and-a-quarter, because it will be obvious to odds makers: hey, the Niners are three-and-a-half, four-points better, you know, on a neutral, at least coming in, now they're maybe a little bit higher. And if they blast Dallas, the path to an NFC one seed is that much cleaner. I am willing to go to war with San Francisco in the NFC, but I don't want to bet 250 conference. I want to bet 6-1 to one Super Bowl because the best part about being in the NFC is you don't have to deal with Buffalo, Kansas City, Baltimore, Miami, until the actual Super Bowl. So I haven't made any future bets yet in the NFL, aside from the McDaniel coach of the year that we talked about in the summer. I'm thinking about San Francisco to win the Super Bowl at 6-1. to one. Again, you haven't lost a lot of value there. People are still going to bet that market. Bills, Chiefs, Dolphins, Ravens, all that. Cowboys, Eagles, okay, I'll take the Niners. Because odds are good they're going to be in the NFC Championship game, and odds are good they'll be at home and be favored. And if it's Dallas in the playoffs, what's the number? Three, three and a half? With six to one in my pocket to win one more game and then do what I have to do? I like that. Congrats to Circa Sports, live in Illinois. This is a big deal for you guys in Chicago and across the state, of course. The show was born in Chicago, and... There was a tweet that Jeff Benson had the other day. I'm not going to read the entire conversation, but he basically had a thread. If you want to search at Jeffrey Benson 12 and basically type in on Twitter at Circus Sports value proposition, those are the keywords. It will take you to his thread. It's like a 16-page thread. I'm not going to read all of it again. Here's what Jeff said. We have no app promos or bonuses planned. We're more of a real sports book where the focus is attractive odds, high limits, exceptional customer service for pros and long-term winners and everybody else. We don't do deposit bonuses or promos because our philosophy is we want to give you value every single day. For example, we want you to have the ability to bet a golfer at 30 to 1 when most of the competitors are at 20 to 1. Jeff adds, why would we want to give you a $100 chinzy free bet Well, we can offer you better prices on almost every bet you'll make. Seems like an easy decision. Here's the other one that I I favorited or liked or whatever you call it now on Twitter, X, whatever. Sportsbook bonuses and free bets offer players money up front in return for what they give up tenfold by hanging worse prices than the competition. Bingo! whereas a better keeps much more money long-term than what a bonus pays through the accumulation of so many better-priced wagers. If Book X offers you free money but then charges you higher VIG, how much did that free money cost you? Nothing is free. You're simply paying for the free bets elsewhere in the form of higher VIG. It's a really good thread. I would advise you to read it if you have 5, 10 minutes. It explains the philosophy of Circa, the low-hold model, They also, as you know, take big bets. I mean, they don't even spin the wheel when I go there and bet a dime, and I'm not even a big fish. If I tried to bet a dime at one of these books up here in Massachusetts, the supervisor would come over. They'd run it up the pole. Forget it. But this is a big deal for those of you in Illinois. You should definitely get that Circa app. If you're betting futures, there are not many better books than Circa. Especially in the golf market. You can find a golfer at DraftKings 40 to 1, FanDuel 50 to 1. Circa's got them 80 to 1. And they take pops. They take pops. So congrats to them. I, uh, I also think it's funny, and I'm not going to dive too deep into this, but I am now like, <laughs> I don't even really want to have this conversation, but I have to address it because people have talked about it with me via text and via direct message. And stuff like that and you know I uh, I have been rooting against Colorado for the last 3 weeks or so. I you know, I did bet them um against them in the opener and I was wrong. I was flat out wrong. I laid 20 with TCU. Colorado won the game outright. I was wrong. I will raise my hand and say I was wrong about that. Then 2 weeks later I took 24 with Colorado State and I remember the tweet. It was when I said you know, y'all are really going to take 24 with fake-ass Colorado. Blah 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 blah. I'm going to pull the tweet up right here, but that tweet really triggered a lot of people. Here it is: Y'all are really laying 24 with fake-ass Colorado because Dion bought the entire team sunglasses, huh? Question mark. I mean, that was what people were doing on Saturday. Well, Colorado means business. I mean, that game was never going to cover 24, and then Colorado State wins. And I'm a racist, or I hate Dion, or I hate what. Co- Come on. Who brought that into it? Nobody. I, I just, I think it's ridiculous that people play that card. And then I, you know, I'm celebrating Oregon's cover, which was so easy. Oregon won, what, 49 to seven? And then you see the videos of, you know, the Colorado team, like, talking shit and stepping on the logo and saying, you know, Shiloh Sanders is going to beat up the team and beat up the coach. And, you know, I can't root against that. (laughs) What a double standard that is. I don't have a single bet against Colorado this weekend. I think they're in Arizona. Is it Arizona State? That sounds right. Colorado's like four, four and a half. Yeah, at Arizona State. Total 60. I don't have a single bet. I'm also not rooting against Colorado just to do it. I root against him because I have fucking money on the line. I'm so tired of this, and then people can call me a cracker and call me this and call me that. and yeah, that's that's clearly fair. Just ridiculous. I hope they finish what they started. I hope Dion stays there. I would be ecstatic if Colorado in two years still had Dion and their national title good. That would be incredible for this sport. Hell, it already is. I mean, the attention, the eyeballs, the awareness, the merchandise, everything. He has changed everything in college football, and I tip my cap. But when I bet against him, I'm betting against him because the number's wrong, not because it's personal or it's deep-rooted in some whatever bullshit you want to talk about. Miss me with that. Miss me with the cracker stuff. It's so overplayed. Two more quick things before we get to Alex Smith. I have Kenny White's numbers here for the NFL. I'm not going to give you the whole list, but let me give you his NFL power ratings as of the end of week four. One, Buffalo. Two, San Francisco. Three, Kansas City. And Kenny's numbers on those three teams are Buffalo 109.5, San Francisco 108.5, Kansas City 108. Let's go to the bottom here. Tied for 29th, New England, New York Giants. 31, Chicago, 32, Arizona. Those numbers, Patriots and Giants, 95.5, Bears, 93, Cardinals, 91.5. So if the Bills and Cardinals were to play on a neutral right now, Kenny would make the game 109.5 minus 91.5. We're talking 18 points. That is the number there between Buffalo and Arizona on a neutral. The cream certainly rising, and the bottom is falling. And that New England team, I'll tell you what, I saw earlier this week the adjusted season win total, seven and a half, under was minus 140, minus 150. Without Judon for two months, without this rookie corner, Gonzalez, who's out for the entire season, Belichick defenses are bend but don't break. It's tough not to break, though, when two of your best players are out for at least eight weeks. Judon's out at least eight weeks. Gonzalez is gone for the year. The offense can't move the ball. The passing game sucks. The line's bad. The receivers are awful. And you got Belichick here last week losing by 35, biggest loss of his career from a number standpoint, 35 points. That's alarming that a guy like Kenny who's been making numbers for four decades has the Patriots at 29th in the NFL. Not great. Last thing, the bartender is over 500. And as I sit down to tape this on a Thursday after the ultimate betting show on Nesson at 6 o'clock Eastern, the bartender has already made another play. He's on the under on Thursday night, which I'm sure – Many of you saw on social. Bartender is over 500, five 5 5-4. Last week he split. He had the Taylor Swifts on Sunday night, minus 9.5. And, and he also had the Vikings. Vikings were down, I think, 10 nothing, and eventually had that 90-yard defensive touchdown against Bryce Young, covered the game. So Bartender split again, lost the VIG, .1 units. Bartender 5-4. and four. With the Thursday night game, he bet the under. If he's six and four after 10 games, I have one question for you How hard are you going to fade that guy for the next 20? Don't lie. <laughs> Joining us again on Chicken Dinner, you know him, you love him. When we talk hockey, we bring on Alex Smith, co host of the Ice Guys, the Hammer HQ, Edgework. And you know him as a guy who does very good handicapping at axsmithsports.com. I think this is the 10th time you've been on. You say it's the 8th. I lose track.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think think it's eight. There there was one that's floating around in the atmosphere, so it's like 8 or 9. But I'm thinking this is number 8.
1: There are so many episodes that I've lost in the ether. There was a time (laughs) I sat down in Vegas with Derek Stevens and I recorded it. It was like 28 minutes. He was fantastic. His mic didn't work. Oh, no. (laughs) I didn't know that until after the fact, though. Like, when you're checking them, I have my digital recorder. This was one of those in-person interviews, and I had the levels bouncing. Maybe I was a little intimidated. Maybe I wasn't. (laughs) So you have had an episode lost. Derek Stevens has had an episode evaporate. And then I did an in-person interview with Adam Amin, who is now one of the biggest voices on Fox. Three, four years ago, we talked for 35 minutes it was one of the best I've ever done, and nobody will ever hear it.
0: Oh, no, that's, that's, that's awful. <laughs> oh, man.
1: But I'm clearly over it, as are, uh, <laughs> as are the guests, because they don't care. Uh, hockey is here. We've got opening night on October 10th. It's a triple header, Nashville, Tampa, Chicago, Pittsburgh, Seattle, Vegas. Before we get to that card, though, what was the biggest position that you've made so far heading into the season?
0: Uh, it's on the Seattle Kraken. And, and it's funny, I'm not a big futures guy in the sense of betting, like, to win the Stanley Cup of the Western Conference this early. You know, I usually like to set up with, like, you know, point totals, maybe some division props, and then, we, you know, make our changes, you know, especially now with everything, you know, every, we got all these moving parts. We can bet everything every day uh, during the season, so we don't have to jump, you know, right at everything all at once like we used to five, six years ago. So Seattle's a team where I looked at what they did, Last year, I love that they took, in my eyes, they took two steps up where a lot of other teams took that next level. They made two strides up from where they were. and Obviously, being a young franchise, a uh, 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 expansion franchise, and we just saw an expansion franchise in Vegas win the Stanley Cup, they looked like they could make that jump even quicker than Vegas did. I, I like the balance that they have. Uh, Hackstall is one of those guys that's going to have his guys ready every night. You're not getting an easy night playing in Seattle Kraken. So I'm on them to win the division. I'm on them to win the conference, and I'm on them to, to win the cup as well. Uh, and I grabbed all of these in July, but, you know, I'm still seeing, you know, what, 25 to 1, so up to 40 to 1 odds. I was seeing uh, one point for the cup uh, at different places, domestic and offshore. Uh, I'm seeing 10 to 1s for a lot of those division prices. So you can still search around and, and find some good numbers
1: 55 the one I could see on Stanley Cup. As high as 20 to 1 to win the West. Should we just go ahead and fling in a little flyer on them to win the President's Trophy at 75 to 1? Why not? Yeah,
0: why not? Why not? Because if they can get hot early, I just don't – Whenever they get hot, I feel like they're going to go on some really sustained streaks, some very long runs. And that could be early in the year. They could maybe kind of play middle-of-the-road hockey because that is a tough division in the Pacific. And then they all of a sudden get hot late. So, yeah, it's worth taking a fly run at at 75-1. That's something that if they start off early, that'll get cut in half, and you'll never see it get anywhere close to that price uh, if they get off to an early start here in October November.
1: It seems like the league has sort of given both Vegas and Seattle like way more meat on the bone with these expansion situations, right? I mean, I remember yeah. when Vegas took some of those guys, they got the Marcioso's and the William Carlson's, and then I think they had, what, Flurry from Pittsburgh. So, I mean, they got some really good players out of the gate, and I looked at that first season, the 17-18 season, because I was in Vegas working at Vison at the time, and I thought – This team is better than 10 teams in the league right now. I think the league has made sure that these teams tread water or better early. And
0: it's also just the, the luck of what year you land in and what guys are, are up and available to be uh you know uh, exposed to the expansion draft that was kind of the thing you looked at you know back in the day all of the the expansion teams were awful the Columbus Nashville Minnesota those you know late 90s expansion teams Atlanta but they were able to get some solid players to build upon because just you know one year as opposed to the other who was available to, to pick so i think where vegas and seattle got lucky is that there were just a lot of good players that had to be exposed because of contract things and of course the cap was kind of uh being it, it, you know iffy in those two seasons as well so you know you could kind of say in a way the pandemic almost kind of helped seattle build a better team because that kind of shifted the cap and how the money was uh, all distributed so you know, people want to kind of you know, think of their own conspiracy theories of, all oh, Vegas winning a cup after a few years and Seattle being good enough to win it after three years. It's not a conspiracy. It's just sometimes it's just the luck of the draw.
1: Let's play rapid fire. I'm going to give you a chance to answer quickly on maybe four teams. I'm going to throw some point totals at you. You can do whatever you want. You can answer as quickly as you want. Chicago Blackhawks, 71 and a half.
0: That's such a low number. They you know, at 68 last year. I mean, you you could go over, and there's other ways to attack the Blackhawks. Uh, watching these last couple of preseason games, I've been very thrilled watching their power play unit. Something that I haven't been able to say in about 14 or 15 years as a Hawks fan. Uh, so they have some upside. Connor Bedard is going to be Connor Bedard. He's he's fun to watch already, and he will break out in due time, but the defense and the goaltending are so bad and that's what's going to be the issue it's like okay if this team could probably score six goals a night but they will give up four or five uh so 71 that's thats still i mean they should be able to clear that just barely you know 80 points can get you can still be a last place team so i'll go over
1: boston bruins 99 and a half
0: i would go over and, and, and they will take a little bit of a step back. Obviously, they're they have to take a massive step back from last year, right? They got 135 points in the best regular season record. Of course, they were a no-show in the first round, or at least played tough and, and just couldn't make it out of there. So now, you know, obviously dealing with life without Bergeron. They've got dealing you know, with kind of the changing of the guard. You know, this Marsh He's getting into his twilight year. Now he's the captain. It, it's, they got a lot to live up to. Obviously, they aren't going to play as well as they did last year, but they still should be a good team and they are one of the better teams in what's going to be a logjam of a division in the Atlantic, I'll go over.
1: My concern with that team is up the middle, obviously. Not only Bergeron, but Krejci as well. It sounds like they're going to put Pavel Zaka as the top center, which, I mean, let's be real. He's sort of playing out of position there. I think he can do it. So they're going to have Zaka with Pasternak, and then maybe Coyle with Debrusk and JVR. I mean, that top six... Looks substantially different. My concern, Alex, is that they're not going to have the puck as much as they did last year because not only Bergeron, but Krejci, both of those guys were amazing at the dot.
0: Yeah. Great faceoffs and, and just good puck possession. They were great puck movers too. I talk about the importance of passing. And people, if you're watching, you know, obviously it's come out. I don't know what days come out, but if you're still watching preseason hockey at this point, watch how teams are passing. Don't watch anything else. Watch how they skate and watch how they pass. Because that's how you know where a team is really connecting and gelling this time of year, this this early in part of the year. The shooting's gonna come, the lanes are gonna open if the team's passing well. And and that's what I've been seeing from, from the few teams that I've been watching. And so Boston's always been one of those teams that is heavy on puck possession, clean passing. I think that'll still continue, but like I said, they lose a lot of the face off dot. And like I said, Zaka as a top center, I mean he's playing with Pasternak. You could put a Dyson vacuum on the line with Pasternak, and they're gonna find ways to get points and, and produce because David Posternock's just one of the best players in the league.
1: About a month ago, I had two respected Vegas guys tell me to get down on two markets on the Buffalo Sabres. Over 91.5 points, and to make the playoffs. At the time, it's minus 110, flat. Now, it's gone up a little bit, like minus 113, minus 120, and the point total is 92.5, 93.5. Those guys love the Sabres this year. It's not my handicap. It's theirs. They're high on Buffalo. When I throw 92-and-a-half at you, what do you say?
0: Uh, I say absolutely. I go over. Uh, and also to, to make the playoffs. This is this team's primed and ready to make that jump. They're a lot like kind of that Hawks team from like 07, 08, 08, 09 that finally made that break. They've been building these pieces for so long, and we've seen them gel. They still have some weaknesses. Goaltending's questionable, but they've got uh, a potential diamond in the rough Devin Levi, he he seems primed and ready to be at this level, but if he can take over and and turn in one of those Jordan Bennington, Andrew Hammond like rookie performances and take this team to the next level, then the sky's the limit. Tage Thompson is a real deal scoring threat. Uh, he's a guy if you want to look for a you know somebody Outside of of the Ovechkin and uh, McDavid Dry box to bet for Rocket Richard, I take a shot with Tage Thompson to lead the league uh, in scoring. I think he could really uh, electrify it. You know, there's a certain free agent who grew up in Buffalo who might be healthy and ready to play for a team that's looking to make it to the playoffs, one Sir Patrick Kane. Who could possibly end up there too? So, you add him to the mix with Thompson and company, who knows what can happen? So, this Buffalo team, I like them a lot. Definitely want them to go over, definitely want them to make the playoffs to so have both of those in pocket.
1: I just watched that Levi kid. Didn't they win the bean pot at Northeastern? Yeah, he was northeast. a monster.
0: Yeah, and, and the couple of starts he had uh, already with, with Buffalo late last season. He looked pretty sharp, so if he can be ready to handle the workload, and Uko Pekalukin, and the, the it will be more than likely the backup. They have Eric Comrie there as well, but there's kind of some issues with their contracts. Half the goalies they have can, if they go uh, down, they have to be put on waivers, so they might end up losing a couple of guys. So things might shake out, but that tandem of Pekalukin, who was the backup to Craig Anderson last year, he finally went on retired, and now Levi. That could be formidable enough as a 1A, 1B system to keep them uh, afloat in that Atlantic Division race.
1: Last one, rapid fire. 93.5 Tampa Bay Lightning. That feels low for what the Lightning have done, but again, I haven't really handicapped it.
0: Well, I mean, you know, (laughs) yeah, it it does seem low, and it's low for a reason. And, you know, if you can find 93.5 still, I would say go under uh, a lot of books have taken a lot of props down, mainly because Andre Vasilevsky, arguably the best goaltender in the world, will miss eight to ten weeks with a uh, – he's recovering from a back surgery. Gee. That's very significant. Very significant, yeah. So <laughs> – so, Unload, unload, world, unload. The new starter now for Tampa Bay is Jonas Johansson, who's bounced around between Colorado and Buffalo. A longtime Buffalo writer said on Twitter after Johansson was traded away from Buffalo to Colorado – he had been watching the team for 21 years and said that Jonas O'Hanson was the worst goaltender he had ever seen during practices. <laughs> said that he was just completely lazy and just you know didn't work on his angles, didn't do anything right, and it translated to how he played games. Well, that's the number one goaltender for the Tampa Bay Lightning right now, and they've got a bunch of unknowns that are competing for the number two spot. So Tampa is going to have a really rough October and November, and and even if Vasquez comes back and he's healthy and he's in his top you know form, they may not be able to win enough to get back into the race because we're talking about a better Ottawa team, a better Detroit team, a much better Buffalo team. And then we're talking about Florida. They'll still hang around. They'll go through their rough patches because a lot of the guys from that cup run are injured and won't be ready for the regular season, but they still have to deal with them. And then you're talking about Toronto and, and Boston up top. So uh, that's a lot to climb. I'm going under with the Tampa Bay Lightning.
1: Man, I covered that league for a long time, seven years goalies with back injuries usually are never 90% or higher all season. I mean, uh-huh. he can come back and play well. We know he's one of the best to do it, but a back injury is no guarantee to improve drastically.
0: And, and we're talking about a goaltender. Think about the workload minutes that he's had. He needed an a, a offseason just to rest, and now he had to come into the camp time and now have surgery. That that's a lot, and like you said, you know, you hope he can even just get back to his form because this is a guy who certainly was on track to be a Hall of Famer. The guy's already got two cups. His his numbers during the playoffs are, are out of this world, and we're talking about a guy's leaving in the league what seven seasons. So, uh, you know, hopefully he can get well soon. And, and I know Tampa Bay fans are, are waiting uh, with bated
1: breath. You have made us a lot of money over the years with these exotic bets: the first period overs, the third period overs, and elimination games of playoffs. When I started at Beeson, we had you on and you were talking about Blackhawks' first period overs in that 17-18 season. I think the first period overs were 69-70% or something like that. And none of that stuff really translates year to year, but are there teams you know early that you're going to at least monitor for first period overs or first period unders? Anything that you've sort of highlighted?
0: I don't expect anybody to go on the runs that we saw the Chicago's and Tampa's and Pittsburgh go in back in the day in that in that whole uh, magical first period frenzy, if you will. But the Hawks are, are built to be one of those teams that could be a good first period over a team. They have great forward depth love what they do on the power play if they can draw penalties which they they've been able to do that a bit more too and that's something a nuance you don't really kind of look out for too much in games one thing that okay you know contact happens penalties are called if you're on the power play but if you can draw penalties and a guy like Connor bedard with that speed he's a guy who's going to get hooked a lot he's gonna get slashed a lot think about how patrick kane was in the beginning of his career when he's at his top speed those those speedy skaters draw a lot of hooking penalties slashing penalties and then you get into the power play situations. And like I said, I love what I'm seeing from that Hawks power play. But on the back end, they're lacking structure in the blue line. They're lacking quality goaltending. So we could easily see a lot of 1-1, 2-1, 2-2 games, I think, with the Hawks. So that's one team I do have circle for those first period overs.
1: So Chicago-Pittsburgh over 6.5, night one?
0: I like that a lot. And there's a great angle to that game, too. Keep in mind the Hawks, toward the end of the year, beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, and that started the spiral that essentially kept the Penguins out of the playoffs. Florida ended up winning two more games on top of that, and they were able to leapfrog over them to get that second wild card spot. So you got Crosby and company, and they've gone all in with the moves that they've made. Now with Cal Dubas as GM, uh, you know, starting at home against the team that essentially helped eliminate them last year—the first time they've missed the playoffs in well over a decade. That could be a high-octane game. And, of course, we got the storyline of Bedard versus Crosby. So six and a half over, I'd definitely be looking at that.
1: Usually when you say jump, I retort with how high. But you are so (laughs) bullish on this Bedard first goal prop, it doesn't even make sense. And you're like, well, he's (laughs) not going to score against Pittsburgh, and he probably doesn't score against Boston. And I'm like, how do you know he's not going to score against Pittsburgh? But take me through your handicap, and I will poke holes in it.
0: So, all right. You look at, like I said, I just laid out the, the scenario, the game scenario of that Pittsburgh, star. Like of that freewheeling hockey Krod. game
1: where talent and skill the free is freewheeling hockey
0: game, right. And right, right. But I feel like that would be the game where we see him get these assists that we've been seeing him get in the, in the freeze. He's got four assists already. Uh, the one goal he got last night against the terms of empty netter. But he's the guy who's going to facilitate people around him. Everybody's looking for him to score. Everybody's looking for that quick shot of his. But his skill and his, his vision on the ice will be to find Taylor Hall, find Adrenis at Tennessee when they're on the power play, find those other guys and and, 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 and open up those chances. And so I think that's where we're going to see him shine early. I think it's going to be a while before he gets, you know, he's going to get his feet wet. Yes, he's playing in the preseason games, but that's the next level. That regular season game, going up against 87, seeing the ESPN cameras, that feel, I think that might – might tighten his, him up a little bit. Then the next night you go against Boston. That's going to be a big ceremony night. 100th anniversary. You got a Boston team that's clamoring at you know the gills trying to get back on the ice after the way things ended last season. That's going to be a tough and, and, and physical game. A tough and tumble game. It's also Taylor Hall and Felino's return back to Boston. That's going to be a, a, a tough game. I don't see much scoring out of that game compared to what we might see from Pittsburgh. Then you get to Montreal. Soft Cupcake Montreal Hawks have a couple of days to hang out there, maybe eat some, some steamies, hang out at some of the clubs that are out there. They'll be relaxed. They'll be focused. And that's when 98 finds his, his scoring streak. He gets number one on the board.
1: Okay. Your explanation was better over podcasts than it was over text. <laughs> uh, you were basically laying out a case of how the best player on the Blackhawks is not going to score until the third game. And I'm like – yeah. I, okay. I see. It. And and from a number standpoint, value wise, nine to two on Montreal is is enticing. I agree. I will meet you here. If it's not Pittsburgh, it's Montreal. I, I hate that spot for them against a very physical Boston team that's going to be very physical at the point of attack. Yeah. Not to mention, right after twenty five minutes against Sid the kid. So I, I'm with you on the anti-Boston, but. Man, it might happen night one. I don't think this kid is scared of anybody.
0: No, no. I don't think he's scared of anybody. But I just think that moment, and and, and it's funny, you know, on on my podcast, the Ice Guys, we interview a lot of players and we talk to guys and we ask them about, you know, their first NHL game. And they all said, in unison much said the same thing, that, you know, that moment. Is just so big that that you do get fall up into it. If it's for a, even a, a split second, or if it's the, the entire time, but you 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 feel that moment a little bit deeper, and so that's it's it's inevitable. No matter how skilled or talented you are, it has to sink in and feel, Wow, I'm playing in the national line.
1: Somebody asked me in the office the other day about uh, you know McDavid. He was asking me, you know, what do you do with McDavid's goal prop? And I said, you know, he could score 70 if everything goes right. And then he goes, well, the number is 55 and a half. Is the over a lock? And I said, no. When people ask you, I know you get DMs. You have all these shows and platforms and people want to know how to bet hockey. When people ask you about the McDavid's and the Matthews, I mean, these are just astronomically high numbers. If an injury occurs, forget it. If somebody yeah. says, Alex, what do I do with McDavid 55 and a half? How do you honestly answer that question?
0: Um, I would not bet that. That's, that would be my 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 full stop answer. But no, honestly... The thing with superstar props and and everybody loves betting NHL player props. Like this that's a, I think that's the new wave now. Everybody talks about you know the first period overs back in the day. Player props took over by storm last season. We were talking about them every day on the ice, guys. Every every other you know content uh, you know creator you heard talking about hockey. If they weren't mentioning a side or a total, it was a player prop. So it's a big thing. And when you when we used to talk about with the Matthews and the McDavid's of the world is, don't look for him to score a goal minus 150 look for a spot where maybe he scores two goals you know do some research against the team he's playing against or the goaltender he's playing against and look for that you know bet you know uh five or more shots don't go over you know three and a half minus 160 get creative and the you know these books now have sliding scales for you to to work with so you can do a little bit more research and see you know is this a night where he's really going to lay it on or has he been scoring or, or taking a lot of shots lately and maybe this is a night off where you want to go under his shots or you know you, it doesn't hurt you can always bet unders. I've, as someone who bets overs a lot i've had people you know tell me you know, you can always choose to bet an under. So sometimes you can look for maybe a guy's not going to have a big night. That's the same thing we're talking about with Connor Bedard. We're essentially looking at, at, at an under for him, uh, at least I am, on the first night. I don't think he's going to score a goal. So there can be value in that with a guy who you expect to score every night or will be favored to score every night. So I think that's the way you kind of attack uh, betting superstar players.
1: Give me a long shot to win an award. It could be Richard, Hart. I see your guy Ottinger is 12-1 to to win the Vezina. DraftKings has markets yeah. on uh, the Selkie this year with Nico Heashier favored at 7-2. to You got the Norris Trophy. Just give me a pizza bet on somebody that's double-digit odds to win an award. You know
0: what? Let's go with the Calder Trophy for Rookie of the Year. And, of course, everybody's thinking Connor Bedard, Or Logan Cooley, who's going to have a pretty good year with the the Arizona Coyotes. uh, Really talented forward. But I would go way down. And if you want to take a real beer money flyer at somebody. I do. Dustin Wolf. Dustin Wolf is currently the third string goalie for the Calgary Flames. And you're thinking, why on earth would I be betting on a third string goalie? Well, Jacob Markstrom had a horrible year for the Calgary Flames last year. And he just looked completely out of sorts. He's gone through working with some new coaches and different things i just don't know if they're gonna really kind of he might have a shorter leash this year as things are kind of you know changing around with that with that that organization dan vladar has been the talk of many trades teams like the colorado avalanche who desperately need a backup goalie teams like the tampa bay lightning who need a starting goalie right right now (laughs) might be trying to get him and pull him away so this dustin wolf kid who most people haven't heard of unless you're really watching a lot of minor league hockey. He's just torn it up in the AHL the last two years. And I've watched him play uh, in a few games. He's the real deal. He looked like a guy who could be a top 10 NHL goalie six, seven years down the line. But I think he could make a big impact right now. And if he can be a guy who comes up and steals that job, maybe outperforms uh, uh, Markstrom and gets called up, finds a way in that lineup and gets that Calgary team back into the postseason. I mean, you uh, you looking at some astronomical odds for a guy to just come out of nowhere, I think he could be that big diamond and rough. I wouldn't mind throwing a twenty buck on there.
1: All right, now I have to bet that, and I'm gonna pepper a little Levi too, fifteen to one.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's not bad too, because he's already up and he could have that same kind of momentum role as well.
1: All right, last question. Are we fucking popping Seattle opening night or what?
0: Yes, Seattle, uh, we're fading. What? who knows what kind of circus show we're going to see for the award ceremony for the Vegas Golden Knights, right? Like, they always do Medieval Times for a regular season game. So it's going to be like 45 minutes of God knows what, and then we get into the game. But it's always a good idea to fade the champion at home on opening night, and I think Seattle's going to be primed and ready for it, and Vegas might just be distracted with all the bright lights.
1: Hell yeah. I love the a little plus money underdog. And that's a late one, too, for those of us – on the East Coast, a 10.37 p.m. puck drop. And as Alex alluded to, after the theatrics in Vegas, that might start at 11.
0: Yeah, more than likely.
1: <laughs> He's on Twitter at AX Smith Sports Ice Guys, the Hammer HQ, Edgework. Um, and you guys are doing something new this year with the Ice Guys. Tell us about it. Yeah,
0: so Ice Guys, it's a podcast you get on all streaming platforms, but we also do our live show where we tape it. It's on YouTube. We're now doing the family plan, the Ice Guys family. That's what we call our our big fan base and community. Uh, For $9.99 a month, you can sign up on YouTube, and we'll have bonus content. So all the articles and stuff that we write on our Patreon page, we'll be doing video components. So I do goalie charts. I'll be doing video updates talking about, you know, why did I rank this goalie ahead of this goalie or or talk about certain goalie injuries. That will be one thing. Uh, My co-host, Ian Cameron, will be talking about his uh, power rankings and and giving some kind of video rundowns as well. So you can sign up for that at uh, our Patreon ice guys youtube page to 9.99 a month and it's the ice guys family plan so you can check all that out and just uh, google the ice guys and you'll find all that information
1: these guys do the hockey homework so you don't have to appreciate you coming on for the 37th time and uh good luck this season man all right thanks thanks again to alex smith for hopping on the show i love his hockey brain more than i care to admit this guy is the goods when it comes to the National Hockey League, and he will be on with us again at some point this season and as we always do before the Stanley Cup final. We have two in the hopper here. UCF Kansas over 64.5. Again, I think Plumley is in, and we got ahead of the rumors. Texas A&M plus 2.5 against Alabama. That number now, Bama minus 1. If Milrow is out, I would still lay A&M. 1, 2, two and a half. I'd lay up to 3. If it's Buckner or the freshman Simpson going in to a and 100,000-plus, loaded with liquor, screaming, can't hear the audibles against that defense, it's going to be ugly for Alabama. I'm going to add some more plays on Twitter heading into the weekend, and next week we will talk with Ed Sammons from the Westgate Superbook. We'll get inside the mind of a Las Vegas bookmaker. Cash-up tickets, make some money. We'll talk to you next time right here on Chicken Dinner. Thank you